There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is former Navy SEAL, author, motivational speaker, and entrepreneur, Alden Mills. Alden Mills, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Chris, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time, sir. Alden Mills grew up on a small farm in a small town in central Massachusetts. His first dream was to graduate from the U.S. Naval Academy and complete Navy SEAL training. He became a nationally recognized rower as a gold medalist in the Olympic Festival and as captain of the freshman and varsity teams at the Naval Academy. He served with distinction as a Navy SEAL platoon commander no less than three times. And after his time as a Navy SEAL, Alden became an entrepreneur. Led his first company to $90 million in sales in just three years and became an Inc. 500 CEO in the process. Alden's books include Be Unstoppable, The Eight Essential Actions to Succeed at Anything, and Unstoppable Teams, The Four Essential Actions of High-Performance Leadership. He and his wife have four sons. So Alden, let's start back there in Massachusetts. No one would have picked you for a future Navy SEAL when you were 12 years old, but you were inspired by perhaps your first motivational speaker back then. Take the story from there, please. Yes. Well, my first motivational speaker would have been my mom. And my mom at that time, I was bedridden a lot as a kid. I had all kinds of lung infections. And at one point it gotten so bad that they actually gave me a spinal tap because they thought I had spinal meningitis because I had had pneumonia now for the third time. And I got sent to the big city of Wista, Massachusetts, and met a lung doctor, my first pulmonologist. And the best way I can describe this character is he looked like an old Danny DeVito with white wispy hair coming out and Coke bottle glasses. And he talked in a nasally kind of New England accent. And he, and he put me through all these different tests and I'm blowing into these different machines. And after a while, he held his hand up and he said, I, I see what the problem is here, Mrs. Mouse. Uh, you see these charts? And he's holding up these two charts. And he's talking to my mom. He's not talking to me, but I'm right there. Uh, this first one, uh, your son's born with a smaller than average set of lungs. And the second chart is uh, he's got reactive airway disease. That's asthma. Okay. So... Here's what he needs to do. He needs to take medicine for the rest of his life, and he needs to lead a less active lifestyle. I suggest a game of chess. Mom saw my body posture immediately go into this defeated, slumping position. She tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, hey, why don't you go wait out in the lobby? I'll talk to the doctor from here. And I'm having that full pity party in the lobby when she comes out. Tears are strolling down my eyes or my cheeks, and... She goes into that offensive mom position, right? She puts her hands on her hips, kicks my foot. What's wrong with you? I'm like, mom, chess? How am I going to learn chess when I'm terrible at checkers? Right? And, and I'd already gone there. I'd already gone to my fate, my fate of I got to learn chess. And mom had these long French 
cuticle nails that she sharpened for moments to get my attention like this. And she's dropped down on a knee and she dug those things right down into my forearm. They were like velociraptor claws on me. Right. And, and she said, now you look at me, look at me. Nobody defines what you can or can't do, but you, I'll get you the medicine, but you decide what you can do. You get out there and you go play. You know, I didn't get it that day. I didn't get it that week. But month over month, they just kept pushing me out. Go try. So what if you scored on your own team in basketball? Go try another sport. Right? It turned out I wasn't very good at any of the ball sports. But I did find a sport a couple of years into it that I was pretty good at. And that was sitting on my butt going backwards for long periods of time, pulling an oar. And I really look at my mom and give her that credit. You know, of course, dad was there, but he wasn't at the hospital that day. And she just every night, every morning, just kept reminding me again and again and again. And so that's, that's my first motivational speaker. Really my first transformational leader. Hell of a motivational speaker. And maybe it's not more so than the second one. You were also inspired by our 26th president, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. who Who was also asthmatic, but went on to become obviously a fierce soldier and leader. I can see the obvious connection with TR, but what other role models did you, or do you have, and why did you choose them? Well, first of all, why I choose a role model. You know, TR was one that my mom brought into me because she was like, look what this president did. You know, he was an asthmatic too. He, at the age of 12, they thought he was going to die. And he got out there and he just started going out in the woods, marching around. And, you know, I, I really thought of him a lot throughout my life. And if you read my second book, Unstoppable Teams, you'll see that's a, a lead quotation that I, I use of his. And the reason I pick role models is that in some way, shape or form, I have a relationship with them, right? And first with TR, it wasn't because he was president or the head of the Rough Riders. It was he had asthma. And then, and then he turned into this burly, hard-charging guy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. He went on and did great things. And they didn't have the medicine we had then. And then, you know, I find role models in all kinds of different things. I find role models in inventing products, in writing books, in being a father. I find role models uh, for different leadership challenges that I have. I know I struggled mightily when I left SEAL team to then go and start my own businesses. And it was hard to find role models, especially coming out of the SEAL team environment. And then all of a sudden I was cast into looking at this creative world. And in the beginning, the I had a hard time getting some creative people to want to talk to me because you're like, you're a trained killer. You're not into this design stuff, right? And I had this wonderful role model, and I still call him DT3, Steve Hauser. He's one of only 50 Industrial Design Society of America fellows in the world. And he had, and I showed up. I mean, you got to have this picture. I drove from San Francisco down to Los Angeles in my Volkswagen with a big cutting board with a hunk of clay on it that I tried to make this, this product. And I was trying to describe it in three dimensions. I didn't know how to do it. And, and he was an old, he's an old character. And I knock on his door and he's like, go away. 
I don't need any new ideas. I got plenty of my own. And somehow we got to the topic that we were in the Navy together at different times. And he said, the Navy saved my life. I was a dental tech third class. And that became an amazing relationship that's now lasted almost 20 years. And he's been one of those role models. But the connection was that we had a shared experience. And I think it's really important. I call them beyond role models. I mean, if they're dead, that's another issue. But I look at them at as swim buddies. And swim buddy is the smallest team in SEAL team. We don't go out in anything less than a two-person team. And as we go through our lives and look at all kinds of new audacious goals to conquer, you need a swim buddy. So what should we look for when we search for our swim buddy or our own role models? You mentioned the shared experience. Are there other attributes? Well, one of the first things is your values, right? Do you have shared core values? Things that are the connective tissue of your character. You know, if somebody is like, ah, don't worry about it. We can break all these rules and do the illegal stuff. Like, I mean, that's not going to work, right? But if somebody is saying like, hey, the only shortcut is the path forward through the obstacle. It's through putting your head down and greeting that friction every day so you can build your strength through the struggle. That Those are core values that work for me. And they don't do it for you. They have you experience it. They teach you how to fish. So we mentioned rowing earlier. You took it up and obviously excelled at rowing in prep school. What was it about rowing that appealed to you? And how did that sport, as one article about you notes, begin a, quote, a lifelong habit of industriousness and effective multitasking? Well, first and foremost, rowing for me, especially because I wasn't the most gifted athletically inclined individual, right? You know, I've, I, you watch like a Michael Jordan do what he can do with a basketball or LeBron James or, you know, some superstar athlete. Like I'm not a hundred percent. You can coach all of that the way they can fly and twist and turn and land like a cat. Like uh, that, that's amazing to me. But what's wonderful about rowing is there's a machine. It's a relatively simple stroke, but it's all about details and it's about how hard you're willing to work. And if you really equate that metaphor in life, it really is a wonderful training ground for anything you're trying to go after, especially when you're trying to take your next steps forward. Your next steps forward are always hard steps because they're going into the unknown, right? And part of that is you're going to need a whole bunch of tireless work ethic to keep grinding away. The other piece of it is that the beauty of rowing, especially in large boats like eight-oared rowing shells, it's not about the high point score or the MVP. It's about getting eight blades perfectly in the water and out of the water at the same time. It is the ultimate in team dynamics. And I so enjoyed that. And I will tell you, when you get to that point where you have this shared consciousness of eight oarsmen working as one, I mean, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it right now. There's, you just feel unstoppable. And that propelled me 
to seek out SEAL Team. It propelled me to seek out uh, startups where you can get that same feeling again and again in different environments. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, making you industrious and multitasking, the multitasking comes from being able to have seven other rowers with you all getting their own focus on different things because I'm a terrible multitasker by myself. But the idea that you can get everyone else getting focused on different things while saying, hey, there's always a way. There's always a way forward. That's where the industrious comes in. Anyone who makes it through Navy SEAL training has to have some extraordinary stories interacted with some incredible leaders in their own right. What were some of your experiences in SEAL training and how they helped shape your leadership philosophy today? Okay, Chris, uh, this, we could go down, uh, we could strap on the Wayback Machine and go down a long rabbit hole of storytelling. But I will, I'll share a couple of them that to this day, I think of morning, noon, and night. And the, and the first one was this character who walked around with a limp with a kind of deep Southern accent. And he walked with a limp because his left butt cheek had been blown off by a rocket propelled grenade in Vietnam. This was his twilight tour. We call him Instructor Memphis. And he would say, you want to know the secret of making it through Navy SEAL training? It ain't complicated. It's hard, but it ain't complicated. You see, you just have to decide what you're going to focus on. Are you going to focus on the pain of training? Or are you going to focus on the pleasure that training can provide you? He was also famous for saying, Y'all want to be a seal on a sunny day. And you see, that's a rub because your country, she don't need seals on sunny days. She needs them on scary days when it's cold and it's dark and it's wet. And that crack over your head, <laughs> well, that ain't thunder. That's somebody want you dead. How bad you want to be a seal on that day, hmm? He'd go on, talk about, you know, treating us like a hunk of metal and turning us into a samurai sword and, you know, pounding on us, heating us up, putting us in cold water. But I think about him all the time because in some ways it's not complicated. He's right. It's just hard. It's hard, for instance, when you're taking your next steps forward and you can't see the full path, right? You don't know the outcome, you're walking into the unknown. You're walking into a fog where you can barely see what your next step's going to be. And then you start wondering yourself, should I focus on how hard it is or should I focus on what the potential positive outcome could be? And if you let your mind go down the rat hole of negativity and create a series of negative hypotheticals, then you are destined to ring the bell and go back to that backward place of familiarity or mediocrity. So that's one character. Do we have time for another? Do we want sure. to hear one? Absolutely. It's a good character. So the other one, and I kid you not, I, I'm not doing it just because I'm from Massachusetts, but he had a deep 
South Boston accent, instructor Boston. And he loved to put us in the water. And you could hear him all the time and walk around with a megaphone. Let's put him in the water. Let's put him in the water. I want more quitters. I want more quitters. And he was our lead instructor in Hell Week. And Hell Week is this, you know, five and a half day period from a Sunday to a Friday afternoon where they give you a total of about three and a half hours of sleep over the entire week. And they really come at you fast and furious in the beginning. And they're, they're, they're trying to get as many people to quit as possible. And by the time we got to Hell Week, we were down to 34. We started with 122. And at that point, I was the last officer. So it was myself and 33 enlisted. And he lined us up all on the beach in the middle of the night. And he says, time for me to get my first quitter of the night. You guys, march out there. That's good. About face, link arms, take seats. And he just sat us out in this cold water, right? That's surf torture. We had been surf torture many times before, but it had always been during the daylight. And when it's during the daylight, you can look up at the sun, right? You can feel the heat on your cheeks. And so after a while, a couple of people would quit in the beginning, but no one would quit anymore because they'd be like, oh, I got this. I'll just focus on the sun. I'll look for something warm. I'll take my mind off being cold. It's fine. But then when he puts you for the first time at the middle of the night, and this night it was raining, it was a December hell week, it was cold outside, all the instructors are bundled up with Gore-Tex, you know, cold for San Diego, like 45 degrees, not cold for South Dakota. And... Uh, he he brought this doc out and we're singing our song and he gets this doc to talk to us about what hypothermia is. And he starts walking us through like, well, uh, hypothermia is a four degree drop in your body core temperature. And he's like, yeah, that's great, doc. How long they got to be in the water before the hypothermic? Doc's got a chart, looks at it. It's 58 60 degrees or so. And he goes, oh, that's about uh, 19 and a half minutes, Instructor Boston. And Instructor Boston's like, they've been in the water for over 25 minutes, Doc. What are the symptoms of hypothermia? Up until that moment, we were singing our song proudly. Every class has a song. Ours is She's a Grand Old Flag. And the talk says, well, uh, first symptom is, and we stop singing. And now we're kind of leaning in and, and the instructor Boston's got him on the megaphone and like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? He goes, well, first symptom is uh, you start shaking uncontrollably. Chris, what do you think happened? Boom. We start shaking uncontrollably. And now we're leaning in and the doc goes, well, and uh, second thing is uh, you can start forgetting your teammates' names. What's my name? Do you remember my name? Up and down the line. And then you can start to hear the break. Little squabbles inside our 34 guys. And you could hear him go, this is crazy, man. I'm getting out of here. This guy's nuts. We got to go. Who wants to go with me? Come on. This is crazy. And, and then the instructor Boston goes, Doc, what happens if they stay in the water longer? Doc doesn't need a clipboard, right? Looks at him and he goes, uh, you could die. Say it again, Doc. You could die? Hey, you know what I got in the ambulance over here? I got hot cocoa. 
Who wants some hot cocoa? Get some, right? This guy walks out, Petty Officer Smith, not his real name, and he's he's shaking, and Instructor Boston goes, what are you doing out of the water? Petty Officer Smith, he goes, I, 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 I want some hot cocoa. I said, what are you doing out of the water? Drops his chin, slumps down. He goes, I, uh, I quit. All of a sudden, Instructor Boston, like, turns into, like, a happy guy. Oh, no, don't worry about it. It ain't for everybody. Hey, take this guy and get him next division. And then he walks in the water, and he looks at us, talking on the megaphone. He's got these big lamps from rescue vehicles on us, and he says, Class 181, listen to me real clearly. Did I say I had hot cocoa for quitters? Do you think you get something for quitting? You get nothing. Ain't no hot cocoa on the battlefield. The only thing you might get is each other, if you're lucky. And I don't think you understand that yet. So... <clears throat> you're going to get out of this water just long enough for this doc to check you out and you're going back in. I want more quitters. Welcome to Hell Week. Now, I bring that up because pretty much every day I start thinking, okay, is there any hot cocoa today? Because when you take a step forward, and, and I really love the theme of your show, Chris, because it is about this, right? Steps forward can be little baby steps. But it's forward. It's forward where you don't know the outcome. I had never been that cold in my life. We didn't know what hypothermia was. We thought it was terrible, right? Turns out we were hypothermic all week long. But until you let go and try, you don't know how it's going to be. And he has this thing. You know, in SEAL team, what makes leading in SEAL training easier than leading a company is that in SEAL training, and notice I'm saying SEAL training, they have X division. You, we don't have X division in the civilian world. X division is this place where they immediately remove the people that have said, I quit. They have the wrong attitude. It could be a subjective series of things. It could be objective. They failed, but they separate immediately. Everybody who's still in the arena trying to take steps forward from those that have said, I quit and come join me and be part of our miserable company. They literally have this log that says old misery, misery loves company on it. You, you have to create your own X division. We all do. Our own X division inside our head that says, hey, is, is what that person is saying to me helpful or hurtful? in getting to take the next step forward. And then when you're the team leader, you've got to be asking your team leader, is what I am projecting, is what I am trying to help other people with helpful in taking the next step forward or is it holding us back? It's very hard for, for a leader to be that self-aware to say, you know what? I actually think I might be the blocker right now. I might be holding everybody back. I've got to work on that, right? And, and that's one of the most important things is that we're constantly being, 
we're self-aware and we're saying to ourselves, hey, how can I help improve so we can continually move forward? So that's right? a great segue into your books. Your books are about being unstoppable. You've given some examples of that, but to you, what does it mean to be unstoppable? The first thing about being unstoppable is you have to have been stopped. You got to know what it feels like to be stoppable. We all are stoppable, right? We don't come out and you take 23andMe and get the genetic testing done and go, oh, look, Chris has got the unstoppable gene. Congratulations, right? Oh, sorry, you didn't get it, Alden. No, no. You see, unstoppable is a choice. It's a choice that we make every moment we are thinking about taking a step forward, a step beyond our comfort zone, a step when we're looking at an obstacle. Are we looking at the obstacle as an obstacle or yes, what can I learn from this? What is it going to teach me? How will it make me stronger? The first step in being unstoppable is one, having a direction, a goal, going after something you're not 100% sure if you can do it or not. And then two, how you embrace the path forward and looking at ways to learn from all that struggle that the opportunities that are placed in front of you are there for a reason. Looking beyond the experience of being stopped, what else do we have to do to become unstoppable? Well, I said this earlier in the show. I'm a huge fan of Swim Buddies, right? Let me give listeners just a, a, a simple example of a Swim Buddy. Uh, you, know, you, you know, I've invented a bunch of different fitness products. I'm a big fan of fitness. And let's just take the simple leadership example of leading ourselves, okay? Leading ourselves. I want to lose 20 pounds. That's a big leadership example. That takes effort to lead and lose that 20 pounds. How do we do that? Where do we get better success from losing 20 pounds? By just doing it all ourselves or with teaming up with somebody? Research is very clear. The moment you team up and you have a, a weight loss partner, your chances go up 95%. The moment after we had 80% drop out of Hell Week, we get a new swim buddy, and then we have a 90% success rate. In anything in life, if you're going after a big, hairy, audacious goal, go get yourself a swim buddy. SEAL Team operates with a two-man person, a two-person team for a reason. Because individually, we're weaker than when we're together. We are more unstoppable together. We've been talking to former Navy SEAL, author, entrepreneur, great dad, motivational speaker, Alden Mills. We'll be right back after a short break to talk about his different perspective on post-traumatic stress. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back with Alden Mills, successful inventor, entrepreneur, author, former Navy SEAL, husband, and dad to four sons. All in, right before the break, you were talking about losing weight, losing 20 pounds, finding your swim buddy, you know, and setting goals. Can you give some insight in terms of what's needed, what's necessary to, to set those goals and have that right mindset? Yeah, when you were asking me about, <clears throat> so what does it take to be unstoppable? You know, you don't just wake up one day and go, okay, I'm, I'm unstoppable today. The real training begins when you decide to set a goal that is beyond your horizon. What a lot of people end up doing is they set a goal that's in front of them. They can see it. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I'm, this is my goal. And it's not even a year-long goal. It may not even be a month-long goal. Like, yep, I got my goal. I'm done. Uh, I washed my car four times in the past month. I'm like, well, okay, but what? 
that's not what we're really after. How about you building a car? If you're really into cars, like try, try doing that. And <clears throat> one of the biggest mistakes people will make is they set that goal that they can see it. The goals that I am encouraging folks that I coach to go out and set something like, hey, this really, it keeps coming back to me. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish it. It's way past the horizon of what I think my capabilities are, but it would be transformative if I made that happen. Those are the goals that I'm interested in helping people do. That is really a dream, right? You have to visualize it way before you can actually see it. And I talk about goal setting in these stages. First, there's this dream that you have, this this hallucination that just makes your heart sing. You're like, you know what? I feel like that's my path. I really want to go and do that. I want to be the CEO of this, or I want to help uh, a whole community of children in some area that are underprivileged, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. But you set your attention, right? You take that dream, you write it down, you you understand why it's important to you. And now all of a sudden, and the more you can take pictures and put it into places, it becomes a vision. And from a vision, then we can start a timeline of breaking goals down into smaller chunks. A lot of people hear the term SMART goals. SMART goals is an acronym called Specific, Measurable, Actionable, Realistic, Timely. Those are the time to, there's a time to use SMART goals, and that's when you're just chunking things, right? And you're breaking this huge goal of helping this underprivileged community of 10,000 kids, and you're breaking it down, and okay, I'm going to try and help two kids. I'm going to try and help 10 kids, right? That's when you do SMART goals. But you don't do SMART goals right in the beginning. You go out and you dream that big, hairy, audacious goal. And then the hardest thing to do and this is where I task people with being unstoppable. And this is where you need the training is getting up every day and going after the goal and breaking it down. Like I, I literally, I make these little cards. They say goals and tasks on either side. I date them. And, you know, there are lots of little tasks that get in the way of our goals. But every day I prioritize, here are the three goals that I want to get done that move me toward the bigger goal, that over the horizon goal. Now, I mean, I've been working on some goals that have taken 10 years, but the name of the game is persistence, right? It's getting up day after day to take even just that little step forward, but you have to do it. That's the hardest part about being a subble. It's not creating a beautiful vision board. It's not creating this wonderful goal action plan. What are you going to do today? to move yourself forward, what one action can you take? That is where the rubber meets the road in being unstoppable. So we're now unstoppable. We've got this big, hairy, audacious goal that we're beating. We've got our swim buddy. Sometimes we can't tackle goals on our own. Can you talk about the importance of teamwork? Yeah. And, and so that's where I like the, you know, the losing weight example. Like, okay, I learned to lose 20 pounds. Now, how am I going to help a million people lose 20 pounds? Hmm, that's a big goal, right? No, let's make it better. Let's say, how are we going to help 
of the U.S. population, let's call that uh, 3 million adults that we're going to help lose 20 pounds. How are we going to do that? Well, newsflash, we are not built to do it all. We're built imperfectly. There's some things we're great at and there's some things we suck at, period. That's the way it works, right? We got some things we really like to do and some things we really hate to do. Don't ask me to build a pivot table on a spreadsheet. I'm horrible at it, right? I, I need financial wizards surrounding me to do those kinds of things. Same thing goes for you when you're building a team and you're creating this big, hairy, audacious goal. Like, hey, I know how great I felt when I lost these 20 pounds and oh my gosh, I had so much more energy and I was able to do so many more things. And imagine if we had this force for good throughout the United States of 3 million more people, what could we get done? Oh, sounds like we need to build a team, right? And that's the next step is that eventually, after you've done a couple of your own goals, you start building more confidence, you get more courage to start dreaming bigger dreams, to push further past that horizon of yours to a point where you're like, you know what? Let's go do this. Uh, okay, maybe I don't get to 3 million. Maybe we get to 300,000. But you know what? It's worth going after. And then you start getting other people in alignment with you that's like, you know what? I lost 30 pounds. I know that feeling. I want to help you too. And here's how I can help. And then what you're going to find is through the rest of your life, your greatest limitation will be in two areas, your imagination and your ability to build relationships with all kinds of different people, right? The reason you need to learn how to build relationships with all kinds of different people is you need to learn how to establish trust in a diverse environment. And that's team building. And there is where my second book comes into, into play. You know, my first book, I wrote Be Unstoppable for my four boys. And it was all about going after a goal and how to be persistent. And I use this acronym called You Persist. The letter U, persist, and these eight actions to succeed in anything. And the last letter, T, stands for team up, right? And so how do you team up? And I don't talk about, I'm not talking about building a group. And I go into that in Ignatium and Unstoppable Teams. But how do you make the transition from going from a group of individuals with their own wants and needs to an unstoppable team that has this shared consciousness like an eight or growing shell? And they're so laser focused that they are unstoppable. Like what's that connective tissue? Well, Brings us back to the 26th president, TR, right? And I think he said it's something like this. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. He's right. It comes down to caring. All of leadership comes down to proving how much you care for others, how much you're willing to serve. I use this quotation that I say to lead is to serve, to serve is to care. And I've taken care and made it into an acronym because I like acronyms coming out of the military. They're easy to remember, but it's a loop. It's connect, achieve, respect, and empower. And that's the meat of 
unstoppable teams, showing how to care for others. If this motivational speaker thing doesn't work out for you, there might be a role for you on Sunday Night Live doing impersonations. So you got the guy from South <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you got TR down. So you're on a roll here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're I'm not, a I, call. I don't have that many. <laughs> <laughs> so Alden, when we were talking the other day, you said we have to be willing to leave our safe harbor of the familiar to achieve our dreams. Mm-hmm. How can we do that if it's something we've never done or something that just makes us so uncomfortable that it's just too painful to think about? There are two fears. Two basic fears that we must battle. The fear of staying put and the fear of going forward. I like using ship metaphors. One, I love the water. Two, I like being on the water. But three, I think it really works well with all of us. We're all our own little ship's captains, right? And our vessel, our body has all these kinds of capabilities. It's waiting for orders. It's waiting to take the the next step forward when we task it. The problem is we got this big old noodle between our ears, our brain, and it loves to tell us what we don't know. It loves to keep us safe. It has a survival mechanism in it that's multiple millions of years old, and it's there to keep us safe and to survive, much like that doctor in Wisdom, Massachusetts, right? I don't mean any ill will against him. He was trying to keep me safe. He didn't want me to go get hurt. Didn't want me to run into an asthma attack, right? He's like, hey, hey, just stay safe. You'll be fine. You can do your own thing playing chess. But there's going to come a point where you're like, you know what? I'm tired of being in this safe harbor of familiarity, of average, of mediocrity. It's, it's just, there's got to be something more, right? Like we are blessed with all these capabilities, each and every one of us, including the feelings and the, to deal with struggle. And the first thing we have to get over is, is the fear of staying put greater than the fear of moving forward? Now, what I mean by that is play it out. This is called mental contrasting. Play out if you stay in your same spot for the next 20 years. What's life going to be like for Chris 20 years from now if you just stay here and do nothing else? You can pretty much see what's going to happen and you'll feel it in your gut. You're like, oh, wait, is is this all there is? And then equate it to the people you love most in your life your family, your friends, your children, and then say, well, gee, uh, hey, kids, uh, don't do what I did and don't take a risk. Just stay safe for the rest of your life and just muddle through and be a consumer. Or you go, well, wait a minute. I know what that outcome is. What if, and I know there's sharks out there, metaphorically speaking, past the safe harbor, and there's big waves and rocks, and there's probably weird mermaids and things like that are going to try and call me into the, you know, the shallows. But there's an island out there that's a beautiful island that has this thing that makes my heart sing. What would it be like if I actually made it through all those obstacles and was able to tell the people I care about most, you can do it too. You go try. 
And the moment I do that, and the moment I start thinking about who else I can serve, and you put yourself in a position of service-mindedness, you will go to great lengths to push past the fear of staying put, to go embrace the fear of next steps forward. You know, again, going back to our conversation last week, something that gave me a chill down my spine was the fact that you, like other Navy SEALs, had to write a letter to your loved ones for them in the event you were killed in action. What did you learn about yourself from that exercise? Well, the first two pieces of that exercise, because I was told to write that the night before I got on the plane to go into harm's way for the first time. Uh, I really, I call these just in case letters. And the idea behind them is if you come back on your shield, that they have something more than a flag to give to your next of kin. When I wrote them, my next of kin was my mom, my dad, and my younger brother, Andrew. And in the beginning, when I wrote them, I, I thought it was like a kind of a will, last testament, like, oh, okay, uh, Andrew, you can have my Jeep. It's got 39 Jeep payments left on it. You know, I, I didn't have much to give, right? Uh, and, and then you get the regrets out, like, hey, I'm sorry I threw that rock at your head in third grade, or mom, I'm sorry I, I crashed grandmother's station wagon and that kind of stuff. But then when you get to the real heart of it, it it becomes like a cleansing of your soul. It, it, it's a it brings you to peace because you're saying thank you. You're giving gratitude. And, and I thank mom for that time she was with me in the doctor's office. And I thank dad for the times that he helped me, you know, push past some creative blockages that I had. And I thanked my brother. And when you have that kind of inner peace like that, it makes it a lot more comfortable to walk into that valley of the shadow of death, knowing that my house is in order. I've said what I've said. And um, I started the process of writing Be Unstoppable after one of my good buddies and teammates, who was the first SEAL to die in Afghanistan, Neil Roberts. He came back on his shield, and I knew his 18-month-old son was going to get a letter that, you know, obviously he wouldn't be able to read for several years. And at the time Neil died, my wife had become pregnant with our first child. And I wondered, okay, what, what did Neil write to a child, to his own son? Like I, I didn't have that responsibility when I was in SEAL team. And <clears throat> I started writing these just in case letters to each of my four children, which all happened to be boys over time. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a 10 year process on making sure I left nothing unsaid. Now, you know, for the large majority of all listeners, we're not going into harm's way. The only harm's way we're going into is getting in a car or maybe we decide to jump out of an airplane every once in a while or something. But, but the process of going through that and giving gratitude and, and vocalizing what's important to you, what you value, I think you'll find very cathartic and in a lot of cases will put you at ease to press forward, to go further. You've been praised as a compelling storyteller, and it's obvious why, given our conversation today. 
Why is it crucial to personal success that we have that ability? People relate to stories. The greatest storybook ever written, the Bible, it's all stories, right? And, you know, when you asked me about role models in the beginning, it wasn't because I connected to their resume. I connected to a story about them. When you ask somebody to go out above and beyond what they think they can do, it's a story. When they brought us into Bosnia to look for Dr. Death, it was a story that they shared with us that told us how sinister this guy was and why it was worth our time and maybe even our lives to hunt the guy down. Stories are what make information compelling and transferable easily. And everybody can tell a story. We learn stories as children, right? The deeper, more rich the story, the more people will lean in and be like, well, what's he going next? What's what's happening now? Oh, I remember now. And hopefully, you know, someone from this will be listening and go, man, that instructor in Memphis, you know, I'm actually struggling with this right now. We're coming out of the pandemic and I'm starting to realize I've been climbing. I've had the ladder on the wrong wall. I'm going to move my career ladder over here, do something different. But when you do that, you're going to go down a couple of notches, right? And your next steps forward are going to feel frustrating. And you're going to remember, well, what am I focusing on? The frustration or the path forward to what we could be? Or Instructor Boston, when he's trying to get people to quit, he's trying to get people to focus on how cold they are, right? Is it helpful to focus on how much you're suffering? No, no, it's not. That's not going to help you take another step forward. And those are the stories, right? I, my hope is that if anybody remembers anything out of our time together, they'll at least remember the stories, so I want to go back to the topic of leadership for a moment. Mm-hmm. How do we become a leader if we're not currently in a leadership role? First of all, we're all leaders, period. Okay. You have to lead yourself to set your alarm the night before to get up, to get out of bed. That is a leadership task. Like, why do we have leadership? There is one reason and one reason only for leadership to accomplish a goal. To get something done. That's why we lead, right? Now, so what if you're not in a leadership position? Of course you're not. I wasn't in a leadership position in the beginning, but I can lead myself to be the best follower that I can be. I can lead myself to go above and beyond what is asked of me. I can under-promise and over-deliver. I can show up five minutes early for the meeting. I can be prepared. I can be thinking about things around the corner that other people aren't thinking about. I can leave myself in all kinds of different ways. I can leave myself in the off hours to say, you know what? I think I'm going to write uh, a do's and don'ts for our organization on uh, best practices to do when you first show up. I'm going to come up with something new to do, blah, 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 blah. You can lead yourself in all kinds of different ways. Don't allow yourself just to have the blinders of fellowship tell you like, well, I'm just sitting here waiting to be told what to do. No. No, lead yourself. Lead yourself and go make a difference in anything that you feel is important to yourself. We're all leaders. 
It's just a question of how many different people want to follow us. So we have just a few minutes left. You serve on the boards of several nonprofit organizations. With such a busy business schedule and family life, how do you choose the charities that you support? And why do you believe it's important to be involved in the way that you are? I believe you must give back to every community that you operate in. And I will tell you, Chris, I can trace every great success with a correlation with every great service to others that I've given without expectation of return. Now, there's all kinds of organizations in this world to be a part of. Pick the ones that are most important to you. Children are an extremely important piece to me. You know, father of four boys, I really care about their education. I care about underprivileged kids. I had great camp experiences. I'm a big, uh, I'm big into this group called the Guardsmen out of San Francisco. Uh, it has no military affiliation whatsoever, but we work on at-risk Bay Area youth to send them to camp in the school. It's all about helping the next generation for me. If someone wants to get a hold of you, either to purchase books or to have you speak in an event, where's the best place to find you? My name, alden-mills.com, or you can check out the recently launched beunstoppable.com website. We'll get those on the show's website. Alden Mills, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, it's an honor. And keep inspiring people to take the next steps forward, Chris. Thank you. Well, with guests like you, we will. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure. And on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.